Oh Lord, please open our hearts this morning. We might hear from you. It's your name we pray. Amen. So I know it's Palm Sunday and I'll be touching on uh, humility today because that's usually a theme that, that pastors touch on on Palm Sunday. But I, I think on days like this when we process outside in the snow, I think we get some bragging rights for that. So well done, restoration, we did it. So I've had some really good mentors throughout the years, uh, some who I'm really, really great, grateful for, some who I've, I've truly loved. Um, but every now and then, and maybe you've had this experience yourself, a uh, really good mentor can sometimes give you really bad advice. Um, that's not common, that's not usual, but sometimes some bad advice kind of slips through every now and then. So I was talking to one mentor, and, and just as a clarifying statement, this isn't uh, my boss, Christian, at Church of the Cross. This isn't my bishop. Uh, so if some of you are maybe wondering, this isn't that person, any of those people. Um, but I was talking with a mentor about how intimidated I was about preaching on a weekly basis. This is before we, we launched Restoration, and I'm like, that sounds really intense, because Sunday follows Sunday, which follows Sunday. And in all seriousness, he told me to preach the same sermon four weeks in a row. And I was like, you're not laughing. You think that's great advice? <laughs> I was like, um, what? <laughs> Are you serious? And his reason was, well, you know, people don't remember everything that you say. And I'm like, well, I, I know, I know. And he's like, and, and not everybody's able to make it every single week. And I was like, yeah, I, I still don't know about that. And he's like, and this will be a lot easier for you. And I'm like, yeah, but to me, that just seems pretty lazy, right? You know, I only get a small window of time to open God's scriptures to the congregation. And I, I don't think I want to deliver the same record week after week, right? Now, even though this is really, and this isn't a repeat sermon, just in case you think that's where I'm going. <laughs> okay, so you did, you did think that, great. <laughs> no, this is not a repeat sermon. Um, and, and while this is very bad advice, I do think that there is a sliver of something very good and true about what this mentor said. You see, I'm a, I'm a liturgical person, and I love the church calendar. And I love their annual repetition of the church calendar. This is a beautiful, beautiful, good thing where every single year we're invited to walk through the life of Christ alongside him. From his birth, through his ministry, to his death, to his resurrection and ascension. Every year we walk this path. And that doesn't mean we read the same exact passages. That stuff kind of switches up and all that sort of thing. But the themes we hear over and over again. And I love this because I forget some of the story. I need to hear it. I need to be reminded of this on an annual basis. And not only that, but I'm not the same person today who I was a year ago. And neither were you. And neither was your family. And neither are your neighbors. Just think about some of the experiences you've had in the last year. Palm Sunday is different for you this year than it was last year. The themes and the stories might be the same, but there's always going to be new questions that we ask. There's going to be new conversations that we have, and there's going to be new words from God that we get to hear. So today begins Holy Week. This week, the entire church calendar year slows down dramatically. 
This isn't like the Christmas season where one week we're celebrating the birth of Jesus and then a couple weeks, weeks later we're celebrating his baptism, a span of 30 or so years. No, this week we slow down to real time. Jesus enters Jerusalem on a Sunday. He's betrayed on a Thursday. He dies on Friday and three days later he comes to life again, exiting that tomb. And so this week we move minute by minute through that journey alongside Christ. And friends, these are stories that I need to hear every single year. So, as you've probably guessed through our, our abundance of palms this morning, today is Palm Sunday, and we get to reenact with one another the great entry that Jesus made into Jerusalem. So this gymnasium is, is our uh, temple, <laughs> and so we were able to come in through the gate of the temple in the same way that Jesus came in to his temple. Now, there's two major themes that we encounter on Palm Sunday. The first theme is this, and it's the fickleness of the crowd. This is a hard thing to think about on Palm Sunday. But if you remember the context of our gospel story, which it's back on page four of our bulletins, isn't it? But if you remember the context of this, uh, it's, it's Passover. And so Jews from around the Mediterranean have been making their pilgrimage to uh, to Jerusalem for this time. And Jerusalem swells uh, in its population during this time. So there's a huge, huge multitude of people, uh, pilgrims who are present for this. And this is when Jesus rides in and the crowd gets absolutely electrified. They start singing Hosanna, God save us. Jesus gets on a donkey to signify his intentions. They grab palm branches as a way to symbolize their praise and their adoration. This is an overwhelming scene of the, the people praising God. But the crowd is also full of condemnation. Within a matter of days, everything changes. And in fact, we'll see this in our readings. We're going to conclude today's service with a reading of the Passion Narrative. Within a matter of days, everything changes. Jesus is betrayed by his friend. He's put on trial. This crowd now transforms from singing Hosanna to demanding his crucifixion. Pilate even gives them an opportunity to go out. He, he, he gives them a chance uh, to not go through with this. It was his custom during the Passover to release a prisoner. And he even suggests, how about we release Jesus? This is a popular guy. You guys like him. But the crowd, rather than releasing the author of life, the one who had cured the sick and raised the dead, they choose to instead release Barabbas, a murderer and a rebel. So this crowd is complicated. It's a very complicated crowd. So Molly and I, several years ago, used to work for a, a mission organization called Interchange in San Francisco. And we worked with a lot of kids who lived on the streets. And it was, it was a wonderful ministry. We, we loved the work that we did there. And sometimes we would see a kid who would come off the streets and he would enroll himself into some kind of recovery program, you know, usually with the encouragement of, of friends and some of the other missionaries there. And he would have months and months of victory. I mean, we saw this pretty regularly. But then we would hear a rumor that, that he's backslidden. You know, we don't see him around town anymore. We hear that he's back on the streets somewhere else. And in talking about this with some of the leaders, some of the more uh, mature missionaries who had been there for a while, they say that this is very common, and they use the phrase, two steps forward, three steps back, to kind of describe the, the ministry um, that they would experience. But they, I remember having this conversation with John Hayes, the founder of Interchange, and he said, but we don't discount those two steps forward. 
those were still real steps forward that need to be celebrated. They need to be named and honored and celebrated. And this, I think, is actually pretty typical of life in general, especially ministry life, right? Where often we can take two steps forward in life and three steps forward back. And we see this, I think, in this crowd. We hear this story, we, we read through uh, the stories of Holy Week, and we're cut to the core. Just like kids living on the streets in San Francisco can be fickle, the crowd in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago can be fickle. And if you or I have any memory at all, we know that each one of us in this room can be fickle human beings too. Our own lives are marked with two steps forward, three steps back. And Palm Sunday, my friends, confronts us with this. We sing Hosanna one second, and then within a few moments we yell out, crucify him. So that's one theme of Palm Sunday. The second theme I actually want to spend some more time on. I'm going to break it up into a, a couple bits. But the second theme is this. In spite of our fickleness, God is faithful. In spite of our fickleness, God is faithful. Those things which God set out to do long, long ago, he finishes. He sees through to, com to completion. Now, while we not, might not be fully devoted to God one moment, and while we might be, or we might be de uh, denying him the next, God remains faithful. So I want to split this up into about three different ways in which we see God's faithfulness here in this passage. So three ways in which we see God's faithfulness. The first is this. The faithfulness of God is clothed in humility. The faithfulness of God is clothed in humility. So processions weren't a rare thing in the ancient world. Uh, we actually have many, many records of processions uh, occurring throughout the ancient world. In fact, three centuries prior to this one, Alexander the Great processed in to Jerusalem. He had experienced unprecedented victories uh, throughout the, the ancient world. And so he gets to Jerusalem, he climbs onto his war horse, and he enters the great city. This, this, this Gentile even has the gall to enter into the temple itself. And he forces the people around to recognize his great might, to, to take uh, inventory of what he's done, and he boasts in front of them. And then he even makes sacrifices on the sacred altar while the religious leaders just acquiesced nearby. Alexander the Great uh, caused this horrifying event that was still very much in the minds and the imaginations of the Jewish people. But that wasn't their only memory of a procession into Jerusalem by a king. King David also processed in. You might remember in 2 Samuel when David's son Absalom nearly took the kingdom away from him. Things were not looking good for David. In fact, he had to flee. He had to go, and he went down through the valley and back up to that next, that next mountain, the Mount of Olives. And from there, he wept over what had been going on here. Now, it's, it's a long, complicated story, that one, so I'm oversimplifying here. But eventually, Absalom is killed. And it's time for David to return home. And he re-enters Jerusalem on a donkey. And this was a huge sign of humility in very real ways. This wasn't just a symbol. But the donkeys, these donkeys were a gift to him because he had to flee Jerusalem. And so someone gave him the donkeys to ride. And so he had nothing except for this animal. And so he comes into Jerusalem. And he's coming now in peace. He wants to bring unity back to his kingdom and quietness. This is a way of him sort of showing everybody, look at what I've been stripped down to. This is now the animal that I'm coming into this great city upon. 
And for years and years and years, God's people have been waiting for a king to come into Jerusalem again. In fact, we hear that in our reading from Zechariah, when it says, Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted upon a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the donkey. You see, God's people are waiting for that humble king to come and return, wondering when that moment would be. And then comes Jesus. He organizes for a donkey to be, to, to, for him to ride upon. He gets on it and he comes in, signifying the king has arrived. The king is here. Not this same kind of king that you would see in the ancient world. Not one coming in on a war horse demanding submission. No, he is riding upon a donkey bringing peace and humility. He doesn't come to the temple to offer a victory sacrifice of bull and of lamb. No, he comes to sacrifice his very own self, to spill his own blood for the salvation of the world. So God's faithfulness is clothed in humility. So have you ever noticed that throughout the Gospels, um, throughout Jesus' ministry, he keeps asking people to remain quiet? Like he, he'll heal someone, and then he's like, shh, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. This is between me and you. I don't want this to get out. Scholars refer to this as the messianic secret. And I thought, really, I thought that was a really cool phrase when I learned it in seminary. It's like, messianic secret. That sounds awesome. Um, yeah, anyway. So Jesus would heal someone and say, don't tell anyone about this. And we hear this happening in Matthew, Mark, and Luke over and over again. And I remember reading the Bible for the first time and thinking, is this some kind of trick that Jesus is trying to play? Like, what exactly is going on here? Because if I was Jesus, I'd want to tell everybody right away, like, guess what? Guess who I am? Look and see what I can do. But that's not how our Lord um, went about his ministry. So why is this? Well, Jesus knows that as soon as word goes out about who he is, specifically that he is the Messiah, the rulers of the world would immediately put him to death. In fact, throughout his ministry, he says this three times to the disciples, and it doesn't register. They don't really understand what he's talking about. But three times he says to them, I am going to Jerusalem, and evil men are going to put me to death. It doesn't compute with the disciples. Jesus knows that going into Jerusalem, revealing who he is, is, is just as good as committing suicide right then and there. But the second point of God's faithfulness is this. God's faithfulness has a purpose to it, and the time is now. In the fullness of time, at the perfect moment, Jesus gets on the donkey, signifying to everybody immediately what his intention is. And a great multitude bursts out singing Hosanna. And then three days later, he's hanging on a cross. So why is this so important now? Because, friends, we are all waiting for a king to arrive, aren't we? We're all waiting for a king to arrive. And we see this in, in various ways in our own lives. For some of us, your faith is teetering on the edge. You're literally waiting for a sign of God. Anything that will let you know that he's here with you. He hasn't faded into the distance. He hasn't forgotten about you. And if for some of you, and, and, and perhaps this is even worse, it's not your faith that's teetering. You know that there's, there's someone who you love whose faith is teetering. Maybe it's a son or a daughter or, or a mother or a spouse. Someone you love and care for needs to know that the king is here. The king is, is here and present. You yourself have tasted the love of the Lord. Why can't he give that to this person? Why can't he bring his love to them? But friends, the king is coming. 
And I can't tell you the exact answer of how that will pan out. I wish I could. I wouldn't trust a pastor who can guarantee those kinds of things. But I do know that at the right exact moment, God will give you a good answer. Again, I don't know what that looks like. But through faith, we know that God will give us a good answer. And he will give us his very self. The fullness of God comes with perfect timing. And it is directed with a deliberate purpose. So my third point has to do with a very old, beautiful Hebrew word. And um, so some people, uh, uh, so sometimes professors tell you when you're preaching, never share uh, Greek or Hebrew. I don't know if that's always helpful because sometimes words are just, they sound awesome. Uh, like, like this word, chesed. Like, isn't that cool, right? Chesed. This is a beautiful word. And I know that, that today's passage is from the New Testament and it was written in Greek. Thank you very much. I'm aware of that. But bear with me here. So hesed is a powerful word. It's found throughout the Old Testament. And it's kind of hard to translate. You'll see it translated in various ways. But it's unfailing love. It's loyal love. It's kindness, devotion, friendliness. It's this loyal love that you hear throughout the scriptures. And this is a powerful word, like I said. Essentially, this is used to describe the core character of who God himself is. He is a loving, loving God. So this, this word actually occurs 244 times in the Old Testament. That's a lot. That's a lot for one word to keep occurring. And it always occurs when God is about to do something beautiful. Or when God's people are trying to encourage one another and they're reminding one another about the character of the God they serve is. So for example, you might remember when Moses asks to see God's glory and God tucks him away on the side of a mountain and says, I'm going to pass by you. And when he does, God speaks over Moses and tells Moses who he is. And he says, I am the Lord, the Lord, a God who is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's the word right there, that hesed love. I am the Lord, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. When God pronounces his faithful love to Joseph, or God professes his faithful love to Joseph when he's in jail, he pronounces his faithful love to Job when he's restored. He professes it over David when he's anointed the king and to, to, to Nehemiah when he's commissioned to go out and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Naomi reminds Ruth of God's steadfast love. The prophets try to woo back God's people by using this word over and over again. And the psalmists are obsessed with this word. It's all over in the psalms. The psalmist is always constantly sharing about God's steadfast love. So the primary way that God wants to show himself to his people is through his faithful, steadfast love. So why am I bringing this up here now on a Palm Sunday sermon? Well, if you want to see in the New Testament, in the Gospels, a picture of what faithful love looks like, this is it. Look here. Look at Palm Sunday. Look at Jesus Christ, who isn't coming into Jerusalem on a war horse, but riding in on a humble donkey. Look here, where you see a, a sea of shifting people, and there's Jesus, whose face is set hard on Jerusalem. And he is not distracted or detracted. He is going straight into Jerusalem for his mission, for his purpose, which is you. He does all of this for you, to be with you. So this is my third point. The heart of God's faithfulness is steadfast love. 
And he's not doing this out of divine obligation to fulfill all of his old prophecies, although he is fulfilling the old prophecies. No, he's doing this knowing the joy that was set before him. He endures the pain of the cross. This is a king who wants to be with you. So friends, this is Holy Week. We are here now. And my, my, my charge to you is not to rush through it. We see it's easy for us to look to seven days from now, to see Easter and think, oh yes, there's going to be so many flowers in here. We're going to use the bleachers because it's going to be huge. <laughs> like It's going to be a fun day. And, and we're tempted to only think about Easter and that resurrection day. But don't rush through this week, friends. My charge to you is to slow down and enter into it. We're going to have flyers at the back or at the welcome table that talk through our Holy Week services. The locations are kind of all over the map on those, so make sure you grab a flyer. I want you to walk alongside Jesus this week. Come to the Maundy Thursday service. Come to Good Friday. Come to the great Easter vigil on Saturday night. And come here on Easter. This is a time in which we can center ourselves upon the works of Christ and fall more in love with our faithful God. So in spite of our fickleness, God is faithful. In spite of our arrogance, God is humble. In spite of our demands, he has perfect timing. And in spite of our sin, God is love. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, we confess that we are a fickle people. But you, O Lord, are the humble king. You are the faithful king with a heart of steadfast love. And we praise you for that, Lord. I pray that we may ever gaze more and more upon you, the beautiful one, the holy one, the righteous one, that we might be transformed more and more like you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.